Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we have got rookie minicamp this weekend as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and we have got a great show for you here on episode number 175. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I'm joined by Washington State head coach Mike Leach, one of the best characters in all of college football, one of the smartest minds in the entire country when it comes to winning on offense, and I had a great conversation with Coach, not just about Andre Dillard, but also about the game of football as well. Got into a little bit off the field as well, so uh, stay tuned right now for that interview with one Mike Leach. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. I'm fired up to welcome in Washington State head coach Mike Leach to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Coach Leach and the Cougars are coming off their first 11-win season in program history. They had the number one passing offense in all of college football last year and obviously gearing up for a run at a Pac-12 title this fall. Coach, welcome to Chalk Talk. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. So the, the big question, obviously, the big topic is going to be Andre Dillard, the left tackle. The Eagles selected 22nd overall. He's the highest Cougar selected in the NFL draft since Marcus Trufant back in 2003. And we know how talented Andre is, but tell us just how much he meant to your staff and, and to the entire program over the course of the last few seasons. What is it that sets him apart from everybody else that, all along the offensive line? You know, the biggest thing is a real steady guy. is the same guy every day. And, uh, and you know, just real focused on his work. You know, if it's time to lift weight, just locked in on it and worked like crazy. And then the other thing he did, you know, and I wish I could say the same about myself, but he he really didn't go through a lot of emotional ups and downs, just uh, really steady and always pushing himself. You know, it's like one time I'm watching one-on-one drill, and he just crushes the guy across from him. And... uh and then afterwards, he does that uh, deal where you, you clap your hands and goes, "Damn!" You know, I go, I go Andre, I go, "What the hell is going on?" I go, "You just massacred it." And this guy's a good player too. Actually, uh, he was a player that's uh, on a roster. And so then he goes, uh, I, "I go, I go, you better enjoy this a little because you can't do much better than that." He goes, "Coach, you can always do better." I left my left foot. I mean, you know figured I'd just go ahead and leave him alone because, uh, one, I wanted, uh, uh, there, you know, some of those other guys didn't have that same gear Andre did, and I figured they were better off uh, singing him and copying it. Yeah, I mean, that's the sense you get from him. He's very, very businesslike, and yeah, I see what you mean when you say he's not like a guy that goes through the highs and the lows. You get the sense of that talking to him. My, my next question is, when did you get the sense that you had a, a potential first-round pick on your hands? How early in his career did you get the sense that, you know what, this guy could be something really special? Well, when we recruited him, no one else wanted him until the University of Idaho really late. And then when he came in the first year, we felt – you know, this guy really is a quick, fast guy. So we thought he might be a D end. And then, 
then he got both taller and bigger and you know and as he uh you know but initially not very confident you know you could see the talent there but not real confident and then uh he was a you know kind of a thin offensive lineman initially kind of a oh maybe a 275 kind of guy and then um uh well, then, as he got bigger and as he got confident, he never lost any of his speed. And if anything, he may have gained uh, uh, some speed as well and just got better and better and better. He was one of those guys that was always focused on his improvement. And we we talk about this some on our team. If you want to improve the team, improve yourself. And, and Dillard kind of personifies that. You mentioned the story about the the one-on-one drill and trying to perfect his craft. When you look back, uh, you know, five years from now, when you look back on Andre Dillard and you hear his name, is there going to be another any other specific memory or a moment, something that you know you'll think back and say, like, you know what, this is what I'll always remember most about this guy. I just remember well, like you know, we give the an award to the offensive lineman of the game, of which Dillard, of course, won more than anybody did. And uh, and then the the tradition was that she had to give a speech. So he'd get up there and he'd just uh, hold his little award up and he'd say, he'd say, got to get better this week. And he'd go sit down. Now he'd do it with a smile. <laughs> yeah, he, that, that's definitely the uh, the kind of guy that he comes off as. He's uh, it's that's one of the things that really stood out to me is just that he's very, like I said earlier, very, very businesslike. Uh, a guy that you know is just coming down uh, and ready to work. I know our offensive line coach, Jeff Stoutland, very, very excited to work with Andre. Uh, coach, during the offseason, I love to read about the game, you know, whether it's X's and O's, whether it's, you know, philosophy, players, programs, stories about the game. Uh, and a couple years ago, I had the chance to read The, the Perfect Pass by S.C. Gwynn. And for all of the listeners out there, it's a book that, I absolutely recommend it. Detailed the rise of the air raid scheme, and you know, took us back to the early parts of your career, coach, as well as uh, with Hal Mummy, and um, you know, to just to bring it back to this conversation. What I loved about that book was that it really explained the thought process behind everything that you guys both did uh, in the formulation of that scheme. And one of the things was the wide splits of the offensive linemen. And every year during the NFL draft, you know, leading up, we hear about offensive linemen getting knocked by, you know, wide splits and two-point stances and things like that. But what I wanted to ask you, and it says a little bit in the book, but I wanted to ask you if you could just educate our listeners the why those splits work well for you guys and the thought process that goes into those looks for the offensive linemen. Well, and we talk all. We also talk about that in my book, Swing Your Sword, which yep. is about my path into coaching. Um, and then, uh, I, and I, that Swing Your Sword was actually on the bestseller list. But um, you know, the wide splits. Well, first of all, I would think that people would embrace guys that are in wide splits because the island was, or the idea was, um, if we could develop uh, technique you know, good enough technique. If we could really develop good technique, um, we could afford to have our guys on an island and have uh, literally one-on-one matchups. And then now you also have to protect the space in between, um, but those twists are coming from further away, so despite the fact you have to cover more space, uh, it reveals itself more uh, dramatically, which mitigates it. There's a point to where there's too much space, but there's kind of a happy medium where as they're trying to twist and things like that, it, it really helps your chances to recognize and react to it. And then also it uh, helps widen out the defensive end. 
because yeah. we we're not a we're not a group we we never chase those guys on the outside. If you're if you're outside the tackle box, we're not chasing them. Uh, you have to be coming into the quarterback and uh, you know threaten that plane there before we're going to mess with you. Yeah, to me, that's one of those things that I look at, and it's like, yeah, the guy, I mean, you see plenty of examples of him being left on an island and put in a stressful situation. The funny thing about Andre is he was always so under control and so confident, even though it was a little bit stressful. for some, It could be stressful for other guys. For him, he, he almost made it look easy and look natural. Yeah, he did. He really did. And then and then um, as time went on, he got uh... – really good at uh, playing with his pad square, which made him even better. So Coach, a few more questions, and then we're going to let you go. I know you're over at, uh, at Pac-12 meetings. Uh, who are we going to be talking about this time next year, if you don't mind my asking? From Washington State going into the NFL, is there a guy that you've got some high expectations about going into uh, their final season on campus? You know, uh, probably I don't have a specific one, and plus, uh, you know, he, he end up jinxing them part of the time. <laughs> but... Um, uh, you know, I think the guy, you know, because in order to do that, obviously they would have had to have uh, had a level of success up to now. But the guy that stays hungry, I mean, I think the element is, is that you've really got to uh, stay hungry and go out there and play your senior year like you've got something to prove. And, and also, to be honest with you, they're the ones that talk the least about the NFL. I never heard Michael Crabtree talking about the NFL. You know, I never heard. Gardner Minshew talking about the NFL. I never heard Andre Dillard talking about the NFL. What they did is they went out there and maximized uh, their practice, practices and their reps uh, because you only get so many. And I think that focus on, you know, an individual play one at a time is critical not only for it to become a habit, uh, but also – um, in order to steadily improve. And I think the discipline to do that is really the critical element uh, for a guy to sustain something like that because it's always tempting something as difficult as football and something uh, as painful as po- uh, football um, to, uh, you know, to try to take a breather or think you've arrived or think you've accomplished something. I mean, but there's really no time or place for that. And then, Coach, one player that you got a, a close look at uh, over the course of the last few years just because he's been in the Pac-12, and that's uh, Eagles' second-round pick and Andre's new teammate, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, the wide receiver from Stanford. As an opposing head coach, uh, whenever you went up against them or you saw them on film uh, in some crossover film, what were your thoughts uh, on the Stanford wide receiver and what he could bring, uh, just looking at him from afar? Big. Uh, you know, all those Stanford receivers, big, big, and big. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the thing is, is uh, you had to do a little more than just cover them. I mean, covering them wasn't necessarily enough because in order, in order to get a DB that can flip their hips quickly enough, um, you know, you get a smaller guy. You try to get as tall as you can. But these guys were, you know, big enough and athletic enough. They're always partially open. So, they could throw a contested ball and still complete it. Yeah, he's certainly uh, shown to be one of those guys throughout the course of his career. Uh, another NFL question for you. How, how excited are you, or really interested are you, to be able to watch uh, one of your former pupils, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, with the year one with the Arizona Cardinals, to be able to work with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray? Is that something you'll be uh, keeping tabs on? I know you've, you've spoken a lot about it in the past. Well, I think it's, uh, I think they're a pretty good pair. I yeah. mean, I think that um, 
uh, both are fortunate they ended up with one another. And um, and so I am looking forward to it. And there will be definitely be some crossover between what uh, uh, Cliff wants to do and what uh, uh, what he ran at Oklahoma, because most of those guys at Oklahoma uh, were with me at some point in time or at Texas Tech, you know. Yeah, and so many of those concepts, you know, prevalent in your scheme and in those other schemes, you see around the NFL. I mean, in that in that book, in the Perfect Pass, uh, you know, they detailed the the mesh concept. And you know, for the listeners of this podcast, you know, they know I talk about that concept uh, ad nauseum. It was detailed from how you guys broke that in. Uh, you know, all the way back to early stages of your career. The New England Patriots run it a lot. The Eagles have run it since 2013 and helped them win a Super Bowl uh, in 2017. So, you know, looking at that, do you feel like, you know, it's almost kind of overblown that, oh, you know, the air raid, doesn't, it doesn't transition to the NFL. Now, these concepts seem to be pretty prevalent throughout the course of the league. Yeah, it's it's translated for quite some time. I yeah. haven't really heard coaches say that much, but Sometimes on the outside that doesn't know what's going on back there in the film room, I've heard it, you know, some. And then, uh, but the the Patriots have done it for a long time. New England or uh, the Philadelphia's uh, done it and certainly won a Super Bowl with it. And then uh, New Orleans Saints done done you know air raid concepts for a long time. And then you know everybody's got their own fingerprints on them. Maybe do something a different way, but. And then, you know, you can stick Green Bay on that list. Now, I, the team I never thought you could put on there, Pittsburgh, you could put them on that list. Um, and so it goes. So, yeah, there's a lot of good air raid stuff bouncing around the league, and it'll be exciting to see. Then we've got a, a question from a listener, Coach. Uh, Noah Becker chimed in and asked, is coverage a more important element of modern defenses than pass rush? Obviously, a lot of layers to that question, and both of them impact each other. But uh, as you as one of the, the top offensive coaches in the entire country, any level of football, how do you kind of view that? What's more important for a defense in today's game, uh, the way it's played? Well, coverage and run support have always been important, and it's going to continue to be important. But, you know, if you want good coverage, you better get pretty good pass rush. So I think it goes hand in hand. I've always thought that um, a lot, really my philosophy is quite similar to uh, on defense than it is on offense. Um, uh, you know, offense, you're trying to create space. Defense, you're trying to restrict space. And then so how do you do it? I think you have to have a, a, a specific core philosophy uh, that you kind of constantly tighten up and um, uh, improve and hone and get better. And so, you know, if somebody runs this, you know that you're going to uh, run that on defense. If there's this type of thing, you're going to, uh, you know, run this portion of your package. And I think it's important to stay with your, within your package so you're not always uh, – training new things because uh, defense like offense, defenses need to be executed. And in order to execute effectively, uh, you need to do them over and over. So I think that, uh, you know, the worst thing in the world is, uh, is a good uh, concept that uh, not everybody understands. Uh, like if you're trying to do too much or something, and it's, diff- it's too difficult for everybody to be on the same page. You're better off in something basic that you can really attack and, um, Uh, come out of without any hesitation.
That, make, that makes a lot of sense. And my, my last question for you, Coach, you've been so gracious with your time. I'm going to go away from the game a little bit. Uh, you went viral not that long ago with your uh, advice on marriage, but I haven't heard your advice uh, on parenthood. You're a father of four. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting my first here uh, kind of as we speak. I'm on standby. So uh, I thought I would ask you while I had you, do you have any advice for me as a, as a first-time parent? Well, I'm the oldest of six kids. I'll tell you, it's funny. I'm the oldest of six kids, and my wife is the youngest of five, and all five of her family were girls. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is uh, is encouragement. A lot of things, you know, uh, my mom was always very encouraging, very curious, would always tell you, yeah, you can do this, yeah, you can do that. And then... Um, you know, so I think it's it's important to generate a sense of optimism because you don't want to put any ceilings on uh, what somebody's able to do or what they can potentially accomplish because, you know, you don't know where, um, you know, how far someone can go with uh, uh, the combination of hard work, luck, and breaks and things like that. And and, and so you want them to be ready at, uh, for and expect uh, the opportunities they make and uh and run into. And so then I think that, um, but with that is a, is a bunch of response is a sense of responsibility. There needs to be accountability. I mean, you have a philosophy as a parent and there's specific things that you expect and there's got to be some kind of accountability to ensure that it gets accomplished. And, you know, you just want to make the, the desired behavior more uh, convenient than the undesired one. And I, I do think that, in order for uh, healthy kids to become healthy adults, besides accountability, um, you know, there's too much me, me, me out there. I think anything that can be done to eradicate selfishness, to embrace, embrace hard work over entitlement. I am 1,000% with you, especially on that last point. That's uh, certainly one of the things I'll be uh, taking into the next stage of my life. Well, Coach, uh, I can, can't, appre- can't say enough how much I appreciate the time here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle on the Sky podcast. Best of luck this season, and hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, my grandkids just as payback. I'm going to get them uh, as many noisy toys as I can possibly <laughs> buy. If it doesn't make noise, I'm not buying it for them. If it makes a lot of noise, I'll probably buy it instantly and say, here, Grandpa's got a present. Of all the great strategies you've come up with, that might be uh, that might be near the top of the list, Coach. Well, get him a drum set from me right <laughs> off the top. <laughs> all right, thanks so much, Coach. Appreciate it. Great stuff from Coach Leach, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter at Coach underscore Leach. And while you're at it, I'm at fduffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and then leave us a comment as well. And if you ask a question, we'll answer it here on the show. And I wanted to give a shout-out to a couple of people who left comments and ratings on our Apple Podcast page. First up, Didi, who left a review asking the question, Where else can you learn about offensive scheming and how Game of Thrones affects Brandon Brooks' emotions? 
Didi, it's a great question. I love that episode with Brandon Brooks. And Game of Thrones, by the way, has been on fire through four episodes. I don't care what anybody else says. Big, big fan of obviously the direction of that show. And then last one, Richard in Charleston asked how much he loved the interview we did with Ross Tucker a couple of weeks ago. Well, Richard, get ready because next week's show, I'm going to be joined by former NFL offensive line coach Paul Alexander, who's been in the league for a long, long time and has an interesting connection with a current Eagle, uh, one of the newer Eagles. So something you'll want to stay tuned for next week on the show. So thank you to Richard and to DD and everybody out there for all of you that listen to the Eagle Line the Sky podcast and all of you that share all the content we put out on a weekly basis. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will see you next week.